Welcome to the Think Factory podcast. We got one question for you. What keeps you up at night? Hi, welcome to the Women's Roundtable edition of the Think Factory podcast, where we learn how women leaders and executives think big and grow their businesses. I'm your host today, Veronica Brackett-Blackman, and I'm the Chief of Staff and Head of Operations at OGC Solutions, and I'm so excited to be sitting here virtually today with Jennifer Willey, the founder and CEO of Wet Cement. Now, uh, Jennifer, with her team, they lead through a combination of coaching, training, and consulting, and help businesses and individuals kind of achieve personal and career transformations, helping them to reach their, their potential. Um, Jennifer is also the general session speaker at the upcoming New Jersey Conference for Women in Princeton, New Jersey on October 27th. Um, several members of the Women's Roundtable and the OGC Solutions team will be attending the conference, which is organized by the Princeton Mercer Chamber of Commerce. So I'm doubly excited to kind of get a sneak peek of, of your session, Jennifer, and, and excited to be speaking with you today. So welcome. Thank you. Same here. I can't wait to meet your entire team or as many who are attending at the New Jersey Conference for Women. It will be wonderful to be in a room with, I think, probably 600 plus incredible women from around our beautiful Garden State. And and I hear even New York and and Philly, we're going to have some folks from there as well. So excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, let's just dig right in. I, I know that you're a busy woman, but tell us a little bit about you and, and what cement. So I know that you've had a really varied career. You were a child actor. You got into the fitness industry. You were a TV news anchor. And then you spent decades as an executive at tech and media companies. So how did you kind of make that journey and segue from from all of that to kind of building your brand and empowering others? Sure. Well, along that journey, which clearly there were a lot of twists and turns along the way, uh, one constant for me was always around helping to empower other women. And before I knew the term employee resource group, I was always committed to creating women's leadership programs or serving on boards to help create programming that would help connect women and, and help us to achieve our potential. And I finally got to the point where I had spent 20 plus years in corporate America for companies like Yahoo, AOL, WebMD, and the Trade Desk, and realized that my true passion was that work in terms of helping other people to recognize how they could be more fearless at work. And I always like to, we, we always talk about the fearless fundamentals of confidence, communication, connection control, and culture. And so I did. I took this very big, scary leap and left the corporate world to start Wet Cement. And at the time, you know, it's funny because people would say things like, oh, well, you know, must be nice to have a sugar daddy that you could just leave a a nice job (laughs) to go do that. And I'm like, my husband is a stay-at-home dad. And we made that choice when my youngest was two. And he had been a stay-at-home dad for a decade. So I had no um, safety net or anything like that. I did have a a safety net in the fact that I did have, and I still do have, a spouse who was supportive and said, go for it. Mm. Um, But I decided to to take the leap. And that was now six years ago um, to make sure that everything that we were doing was data-driven and underpinned with 
research because that was one of the things when I was trying to do this in my side hustle side hustle passion project I didn't have the time to have all the resources at my fingertips so when I started wet cement we hired a team of behavioral scientists from Wharton to help us analyze what were those internal barriers in addition to all those external barriers that hold us back from achieving our professional potential and then we analyzed that through the gender lens as well and that along with a whole landmark analysis of peer-reviewed academic literature and for-profit research, really underpins all of the work that we do. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that's so exciting about the work that you and the team at Wet Cement are doing is that, to your point, it is very scientifically driven. It's not just how are we feeling today. It's not just very... um you know, nebulous about, uh, you know, work-life balance. What does that mean? I, I think you guys really are able to provide your clients and these big corporations, everything from startups to these Fortune 500 companies and individuals, the, the tools that they can actually use and bring with them day to day to make real change in their life and in their, and in their corporate environments. Well, thank you. And and that's a big part of why I started the business was I would go to a number of different, uh, let's call it like women's empowerment types of events. And in so many cases, it was the uh, the same format that was used, which I'd have a number of different amazing women who would be on a panel and talking about their journeys. And I'd walk away feeling inspired and enamored with these women. But then I would walk out and think, well, what does that mean for me? And what am I supposed to do now (laughs) because I'm one of those women? (laughs) And so that's a core uh, tenet of everything that we do is it has to be overly actionable. And every program that we do comes with essentially a playbook, an activity guide of how do you take these insights and ideas about those things you can be doing every day and every week and every quarter to set yourself up for growth and happiness. And then how do you make that really easy to achieve uh, so that you're not just saying, oh, that was nice and, and I wish I could be like her, but you have that playbook to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you think um, that your experience as a C-suite executive impacts the way that you kind of approach your work with other C-suite executives now that you're kind of in this coaching capacity and on the other side of the table? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was a big part of the reason why I did this, because I could see, sadly, time and time again, how many times I was left out of the, you know, the entertaining or the social connections where the CEO and the COO um, and, and would would take out these younger men on the team after a big event, and women were just completely omitted. And so recognizing that we needed to know how to navigate those situations. I'd been interrupted multiple times, teaching people how to uh, have the narrative and the script to know what are all the different options of what you can do when that happens. And then certainly being able to connect the why this is so important from a business perspective. I think that's one of the big challenges is so many people talk about this is the right thing to do or it's good for humanity. This is fair. This is equitable. And 
in today's world where everyone is fighting to stay alive and to thrive, uh, it's really critical to talk about that combination of what I like to say, like you can be selfless and selfish at the same time and helping them understand all of the business costs that go along with uh, a number of the different topics we cover, things like imposter syndrome, where there's real business costs that go along with that. And by helping their team be able to develop the skills and the strategies to overcome a lot of these obstacles that get in their way, that it will, in fact, accelerate their business growth uh, beyond just being the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that helps um, get buy in from other stakeholders. Right. Because it's not, as you said, the right thing, but being able to point to measurable returns on this investment to theoretically half of your workforce really can, um, you know, get people involved and invested in, in the women. I know there's so many studies that show that companies that have greater gender diversity on their boards tend to perform better for their shareholders. I, I mean, they, you know, there's study after study. Um, do you think that maybe in different business sectors that they have the same general problems across across the board? Or do you see in your work that different business sectors and industries tend to have spikes in some scenarios and not others? Uh, there's definitely differences across industries. Um but then even within those industries, there's differences across levels. So I'll give an example. I've worked in, in tech and media for 20 plus years, and that's an industry where there's a lot of challenges in terms of gender equity and lots of predominantly male teams where women can quite often feel like they're just left out and mm-hmm. they're the odd woman out of the, the conversation, even when they are included. That was my experience. When I switched from uh, working in TV news to working for PricewaterhouseCoopers in IT management consulting, even when I was included in the team dinners, I was the only woman on the team, the dinners were, the conversation was exclusively about sports and cars, two things <laughs> that I'm just not into. <laughs> and so I just sit there and smile and 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 I wasn't building the kinds of relationships. I wasn't building my own brand. I wasn't building my credibility and mm. I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't happy at the same time. Um, and so it is so critical to start to shape and change the environment uh, because not only is it about uh, you know, I always like to say it's not just about women needing to change their behavior, but it is about leadership and it's mm-hmm. about um, frontline managers and it's about allyship and it's about uh, policy and it's about the overall culture. There's all of these different variables that need to be solved for in order to solve this gender equity equation. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you. So at the New Jersey Conference for Women at the end of the month, I think we're 14 days out. Um, you're what the general speaker. And in your session, you're going to be discussing how we can evict the imposter. And so without sharing, you know, too many spoilers for our listeners who are hopefully, uh, hopefully join us in attending. Um, would you say that that imposter syndrome or when you're speaking about um, not just changing women's behavior, but kind of the attitudes of, of the broader ecosystem? Do you think that that's inherent to individuals or do you think that just kind of compounds because of the environments or the corporate environments that people are in? 
such a great question. Um, there are so many different drivers mm-hmm. of imposter syndrome. So I'll give you a few. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little <laughs> sneak peek. But it could be everything from certainly if you are a part of any marginalized community. So if you're a woman on a predominantly male team, if you are an expat, if you are a racial or ethnic minority, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community or even somebody who's living with a disability, whether it's um, visible or invisible, those are the kinds of things that can drive it regardless of any culture uh, that is in your company. There's other mm-hmm. things, uh, your family of origin, how were you raised? Uh, was an A plus always expected? And if you didn't get that, were you a failure? Or on the flip side of that, if you were an A plus student and nobody ever cared and you never got any validation, that may impact it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are these other drivers, even aside from a company, but drivers of when you're experiencing a lot of change. So think about everything that's going on right now regardless of industry, with AI and machine learning and sustainability and and ESGs or environment, social governance changes that people are supposed to know, and the constant changes to technology even beyond AI and managing this hybrid, remote, in-person changes that are – so there's all of those things. And then on top of that, There are things that any specific company can do that can make people that much more likely to feel imposter syndrome. So things like if you are uh, always expected that everything is perfect, there is this rampant perfectionism that is taking over organizations. And then if you have anything that's not at 100 percent, you have this fear that you're going to get found out that you're not good enough to be able to to be a part of it. Uh, yeah. Certainly, again, in a corporate culture, if you're left out for any reason and you don't have that sense of belonging, again, it's something that can can really force this. So there are so many different factors at play. And I see it with some organizations I work with. Um, the environment causes different types of imposter syndrome to come mm. out in others uh, based on the culture and expectations across the board. But I will say that in working with thousands of people and and hundreds of companies around the world, that the average is 99% of participants will identify with some aspect of imposter syndrome. 99% plus. It's so rare that we even have one person that that because we have everybody self-identify anonymously, that um, even one person will say, "No, that's not me. I don't get it." Mm, wow, wow. So it just it, it sounds like this really is one of the most the most prevalent behaviors or traits that can derail a person's career. And I know that you know a lot of times these types of conversations are targeted at women, um, but it sounds like it kind of impacts everyone across the board, regardless of gender identity and, and seniority level. That is exactly right. So we see the gender dynamics at play is that everybody's suffering from it. The biggest difference I see is that the women will allow it to hold them back more than the men. Wow. The men may have these feelings, but go forward anyway. 
and the women may have these feelings and they'll let it stop them. And or they'll talk to somebody else about it, generally another woman, and she will validate that these are real feelings and that that's why, you know, she's not ready to throw her hat in the ring for the promotion. Mm. Or she's not ready because she's she's projecting the same feeling she has on her confidant at the same time. So that's why I'm so passionate about this, that I want to help people recognize that, first of all, you're never going to get rid of imposter syndrome. There may be times where it's um, more poignant for you and much more intense, and sometimes it may go down. And then you may think like, oh, I beat this. I Mm -hmm. overcame it. But then all of a sudden you get a promotion And now you're the boss of all these people and they're looking to you and you're supposed to be the expert. And you're like, oh, I don't deserve this position. And then the imposter syndrome rears its ugly head again. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I I can definitely um, relate to to some of that. Um, In thinking along that vein, then, and in, you know, a, a lot of women lean on other women in the workforce. And I know that we often hear about the importance of having um, sponsors in the workplace and not just mentors, right? Like someone who can help guide and instruct, but also advocate and provide access to some of these spaces and conversations that may not, um, you know, initially be open to, to women in particular. Are there any experiences that you've had along your career where you've kind of experienced um, that on either side, either being the mentee or having, uh, you know, or being a sponsor for, for other women. And is that a way to really kind of change some of these kind of, um, negative dynamics? Absolutely. Uh, actually, one of the popular workshops that we do is around building your personal board of directors. Mm. Lay out the framework of sponsors, mentors, peer mentors mentees or protégés and allies and the very important role that all of those different people can and should play in your professional development and growth. And it's because I've seen time and time again, and there is a wealth of research and, and we have so much data on it ourselves just from all the programs that we've done, that men, um, they have more mentors. They mentor others much more. They are far more likely to have sponsors who are saying their name, who mm. are recommending them for the promotion, who are in charge of the tiebreaker as to who's going to be promoted, who's going to get the comp increase, who's going to get more equity. And if we don't have those people who are advocating for us on our behalf when we are not in the room, then the men are just going to keep getting higher wages and more opportunities and continue to climb the ladder um, in many cases for no other reason than just somebody else is advocating for them. So I've, I've been on the winning and losing side of both sides of that coin. And that's why it is so incredibly important that we are looking for those sponsors and not even just within your own company, but within the industry that you're in. So depending on the kind of work that you do, you can have sponsors who are opening doors for you in other companies or for new potential clients or for speaking engagements, which is so important because we need women um, performing more thought leadership and getting visibility and having their voices heard 
And so that's a great way where you can have sponsors of people who are in positions of power and influence who can recommend you to be on that panel or recommend you to be on the main stage. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I know um, the Women's Roundtable here, you know, as part of the pod, we're so excited to be joining you and the Princeton Mercer Chamber of Commerce at the New Jersey Conference for Women, uh, October 27th, because this is really an environment where professional women can build that allyship and kind of foster inclusion and foster some of these networks um, that will hopefully allow them to kind of break this this negative cycle of, you know, not having their names said in, in boardrooms or when, you know, they're up for promotions. Um, yeah, so those seems like some really great steps to take. And then uh, this uh, one of the workshops about building your personal board sounds fantastic. So we'll uh, we'll try to link that in the show notes as well. Um, do you have any advice for women who are looking to maybe grow either their own business or within the companies that they're existing, you know, that they're working for currently? Uh, well, certainly, if you're looking to grow your own business, ask for help. And if you're mm-hmm. looking to grow within your company, ask for help. This is, again, a little bit of a preview of the session, but we see time and time again when we're working with folks across the world that for women, they have a much harder time asking for help. It's it's an attribute of imposter syndrome. It's this feeling of well, if I ask for help, they'll know that I'm not really good enough to do it on my own. But the reality is people love helping other people. Uh, It is such a gift. More people die every year saving strangers drowning at the shoreline than they do getting eaten by a shark. Hmm. And People give up their own life for a stranger, yet we are so worried about asking someone to take a 15-minute phone call or to look at our PowerPoint presentation for five minutes to help us make it better. So ask for help. And certainly, if you're a woman who's looking to start or grow your own business and you're not yet certified, I'd strongly recommend to do that. Um, WBENC, which is the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, is an incredible organization that uh, has so many resources and accelerator programs and matchmaking and mentorship and you name it that can really help you succeed as a business owner. And once you get that designation, then you can also be a woman-owned small business and get government support through the Small Business Administration, where there are all kinds of other benefits of everything from getting free coaches to being able to um, be in environments where you could learn about how to navigate the procurement process to get uh, contracts both on the private as well as on the government side. So uh, ask for help and, and make sure you're getting that diversity certification if you are a female business owner. Yeah, it's so important. And also leveraging resources like you had mentioned, Um, you know, there's grants and there's so much information out there, but like the Princeton Mercer Chamber of Commerce can be a resource. I know that uh, OGC Solutions, we work a lot with the 
uh, New Jersey Hispanic uh, Chamber of Commerce, and they do do some of the things that you mentioned about helping, you know, business owners to get their business off the ground, making sure that you are, um, you know, incorporating or taking the steps to protect your trademark and your intellectual property. And, you know, uh, even within our firm, we, we've helped so many do that. So I think that's fantastic, building a personal board of directors and making sure you have people on your side that can help point you in the right direction. I think that's really great. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the Princeton uh, Mercer Chamber because I am a member and uh, that is a great way to go. And whether you live in that area or you're looking to do business with that Chamber of Commerce and in, in that general vicinity or wherever you are in the Garden State or around the world, if you're listening to this, find those places locally where you can create those real, genuine, authentic relationships that are with people who also don't look like you. So mm. I really encourage people, like, um, if you're listening to this, you may not know that I am a, a Caucasian woman with brown hair, and I'm short, and I'm <laughs> uh, 27 years old. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> 50, and I'm a mom of two boys, and all of those things would make me, based on bias, an implicit bias, those would all make me generally look for women who are like me to be mm -hmm. in my personal board and to help me on my journey. But I don't need more people who look and think and have had the same experience as me. I need people of different ages and genders and races and sexual preferences and in different places that will help me think differently and who have not walked exactly in my shoes. So I encourage all of you, if you're listening to this, look at who are you surrounding yourself with and make sure everybody doesn't look like you. Yeah, yeah. And I like the point that you made. Um, well, myself as a woman of color, I know that when we talk about diversity, it very often uh, skews toward ethnic or gender diversity. But you made an excellent point about diversity of thought, which can be so valuable if you are, you know, thinking one way and on, you know, one track, just having someone to be able to say, hey, have you considered, you know, X, Y and Z or thinking about it in a different way could really um, just like expand you know your your intentions absolutely and when i say um diversity i i do want to underscore that gender diversity for women in terms of who you're surrounding yourself with who can challenge you is critical mm. because I see it time and time again i have a lot of incredible men in my life who have helped me along my path and many many wonderful women but the women are generally much more likely to lift me up and make me feel great when times are difficult. The men are far more likely to challenge me mm. and ask me tough questions that will make me look through a different lens at problems and solutions. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we are um, accepting the gift of all the incredible, wonderful men out there who will share their brilliance with us as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I so agree. And, and, you know, in looking toward the future, I know earlier you had mentioned about AI and ESG um, now coming to the forefront of, you know, people's minds, um, you know, the, the rise of hybrid and flexible work. Um, you know, some studies have found that something like flexible or hybrid work can be both a benefit and a hindrance to women in the workforce, um, giving them more flexibility at home and able to manage, you know, caretaking responsibilities, but also may prevent them from, um, you know, raising in ranks because they're not seen and they're, they're less visible than they would be even ordinarily, which, as, as we discussed, is already, you know, part of a problem. So as you're working with your clients, are you seeing any other, like, emerging trends in industries that are kind of surprising to you or anything on the horizon that, um, that you're seeing starting to shift? Uh, I am seeing that a lot of organizations are really trying to figure out the right way to manage this hybrid in-person uh, type of work uh, because, again, just having people come into the office to sit on Zoom or Teams calls 24-7 <laughs> is uh, a really bad use of time. I'm seeing a lot of organizations invest more in terms of um, their culture and creating a sense of belonging because it's really hard to feel like you're a part of something when you're just looking at, you know, a bunch of squares on the screen screen most of the time. And mm. to your point, it is so much more difficult for women who, you know, the research shows that we still uh, take on a much larger share of the caregiving, both for children and for, for parents. And so I think um, that's an area of, of investing in belonging. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It could just be time and resources. I'm also seeing a lot of organizations um, who are investing a lot more in terms of uh, thinking about how are they creating or leveraging the business resource groups and employee resource groups and diversity that they already have in their organization in new ways through things like advisory councils where they'll have them weigh in on everything from new HR and benefit policies that are coming out to marketing and advertising and company communication. So it's going beyond this, hey, let's get together and have a wine and dine or, you know, wine and cheese or um, let's do a cause event together so or a philanthropic event. Um, it, but, but to really make sure that it's integrated and woven through every aspect of that business. I will say one other trend that I'm seeing that I am so excited about is to create more opportunities on the philanthropy, on the, on, I'll call it philanthropy side, where it's again, this being selfish and selfless at the same time, where organizations are putting their, their brilliance and their skill set to work to help different groups that need support, um, whether it's nonprofits or, um, or the end beneficiary. So I'll give an example. There's an organization that I've been a supporter of called Working for Women, which is a nonprofit that will work with an organization, let's say, like yours. It might be a law firm. So instead of your team saying, oh, we're going to do our annual charity event and we're going to do a 5K for the American Red Cross, or we're going to go pick up trash in the park, it's actually saying, no, let's use your superpowers, which is the intelligence that you have and your ability to read agreements and negotiate and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so then they would have your team 
work with organizations like Dress for Success to help build capability and skills with the Dress for Success team so that they can be more effective in helping women who are on the losing end based on the reality that they've been in, whether it's coming out of homelessness or abusive relationships or, or things like that. And so I love this um, type of, of new way of thinking about how can we leverage the talent that we have within our organization for good. Yeah, I'm writing all that down, but I'd be remiss not to mention people leveraging companies like yours, like Wet Cement, and being able to bring in people who are experts, who have the knowledge, who have the scientific studies to kind of back it up to help, um, you know, their companies and their teams kind of kind of push forward. I mean, more people should take advantage of, you know, coaches and trainings, you know, like like Wet Cement offers. I think you guys well, are a great resource. You know, I certainly agree. And, and I see how important it is because this is another driver for me of why I started the business was when I was running you know, sales for WebMD, that was a pretty big job as my day job. But I also built the WebMD Women's Leadership Network. And I would do that every night once I put my kids down to sleep. So it was like 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I was really trying to do my best, and I was so passionate about it, but I didn't have the expertise and the know-how of what were the challenges. I didn't know how to collect all the data necessary to really mm. the program based on our organization and our culture. And so, and, and quite frankly, it also hurt me because now there were people in the organization who weren't necessarily a huge fan of this and felt like I was, you know, distracted or wasting my time away from my day job. And this is the burden that not only women, but any marginalized community leaders face when they are the face of their employee resource group or their diversity efforts in their company. They're, they they pay a really big toll for that of overwork and exhaustion, and in many cases, a negative perception of others who are thinking that it's taking away time from their normal job. So we can come in, we can, you know, parachute in, help you understand, do the analysis, recognize how to design a program that's really custom fit for your organization, and then we can help you design and deploy it at the same time. Yeah, but it sounds like it's a lot of work, though. So what's the most rewarding part of it? I mean, I know you guys are rolling your sleeves up and you're getting your hands dirty, but what's the most rewarding part for you at the end of the day? Oh, no question. It is when I'll give you an example. We did a, an evict the imposter workshop on confidence and imposter syndrome a few weeks ago for 150 leaders at a Fortune 10 company. Okay. Wow. Very, very large, like the biggest company in the world. And at the end of the session, one of the more senior female leaders came over to me and she said, can we speak with you privately for a second? And my gut was like, oh, my gosh, because my own imposter was like, she hated this. This was terrible. She thought it was a waste of time. And then the other side was like, well, maybe not. And it wasn't that she hated it. It was that she wanted to pull me aside to say that she had learned a bit about imposter syndrome about a decade earlier and thought that she beat it and cured it. And then now she had been moved into this executive role. And she had hundreds of employees rolling up to her. She was always expected to have the answers to everything. And it was 
debilitating and she was depressed, but she didn't realize that it was all because of these aspects of imposter syndrome that were now being unleashed based on this new environment and new role that she was in. And she was in tears saying like, oh my gosh, I see it now, and now I know what to do, and now I can manage that. And so for me, like, what more could you ask for wow. in life than to be able to help someone recognize, and this is an amazing woman who's doing important work and that her employees love, and they have no idea that she has this internal battle, and she's really beating herself up. So that's the kind of thing that makes every moment of it worth it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. What a, what a fantastic story. And thank you for, thank you for sharing. And thank you for sharing your time too. I know that you're on a plane to Japan tomorrow. You're a very busy woman. So it's such an honor and privilege to, to chat with you. Um, one final question. We ask all of the guests on, uh, on our show. And that question is, what keeps you up at night? Aside from the Bachelor franchise? No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, that three hours. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> What definitely keeps me up at night is just being able to make a bigger impact doing this work. Um, time and time again, I, I just had this conversation with my husband yesterday of, I love what I get to do, but I wish I could do it for millions of people every single day because we need it in those moments when somebody talks over you or you're just completely left out or you need to negotiate and you don't have that confidence or the skills to do it. And so for me, finding ways to be able to scale the impact that we're making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, to that end, Jennifer, thank you again for your time, but where can people follow you and learn more about you and, and what's the men and the amazing work that you guys are doing? Well, thank you. Uh, certainly check us out on our website. So it's wet-cement.com or wet-cement.com. And you can find all of our social handles there. Uh, we put out a series of snackable videos called Fearless in Five that are usually five very actionable steps that you can take that usually takes about three minutes or less and can give you a little bit of that pep in your step. Uh, and then I, I probably spend most of my time on LinkedIn in terms of uh, sharing out there. But uh, we'll be in Japan this week and Florida the next week and then a number of different programs coming up. But I can't wait and hopefully I will see many of you at the New Jersey Conference for Women uh, on Friday, October 27th. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And we'll link all of that in, in the show notes here so people can easily, you know, get in touch with you and the work that you're doing. And an open invitation again to all the listeners who are maybe hearing, you know, hearing this conversation today. If you'd like to see Jennifer share even more wisdom in person, please, please, please consider joining us live at the New Jersey Conference for Women on October 27th. It's a phenomenal annual event organized by the team at the Princeton Mercer Chamber of Commerce. It's the largest one-day gathering of professional women in the state of New Jersey. Um, the conference is packed. It's going to give women an opportunity to network with their peers, um, share and learn new strategies for, for professional and personal growth, um, you know, build connections with other women. As we discussed, it's so important. Um, there are break, no, uh, breakouts, 
keynote speakers. There's an after party, which is which is going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. So we're excited to attend and hopefully, um, you know, see many of you guys there. And if you like to register for the conference, we'll also add the link um, to the registration website in the show notes, along with more information again on how you can get in touch with Jennifer and her company. Jennifer, thank you. It was such an honor. And thank you so much for listening. 